All right, we're going to continue our study through the Old Testament. We're in 1 Kings chapter 3. I didn't ring the bell today. I figured after a quiet week last week, we didn't meet. I didn't want to shock you this week and too much excitement. So uh, we'll just quietly move into the study here. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 3. Last time we had a chance to be in 1 Kings, we had started chapter 3. Uh, then we got to about verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. So we're going to get to get back in our passage. I want to back up a little bit to verse 4 so we can get some context here. This is about King Solomon. <coughs> Excuse me. So it says in um, 1 Kings 3, verse 4, Now the king went to Gibeon, so that's where he's at, to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar, and that kind of shows us how much wealth he had and his, uh, his goal and desire to want to serve the Lord. That's a whole lot of burnt offerings. Uh, verse 5, at Gibeon, at that place there, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? So the Lord here was showing up to bless Solomon in a very special way. And we mentioned last time that even though Solomon was starting to live a life of compromise, the way I see it at the beginning of chapter 3, uh, the Lord was going to bless him despite all of that. And that's pretty interesting. So that teaches us that when God blesses us, it's not based on our behavior that he's doing it. It's, it's always based on his goodness and his great desire to bless us. Now, it's not that a life of obedience isn't going to be a more blessed life because it is. You know, when we are obedient to the Lord, we just happen to find or run into more God, of God's blessings, I think. It's kind of like there's a door in front of us and it's a door of obedience. And when we obey the Lord, then we're able to walk through that door and there are blessings on the other side of it. So it's kind of like when we obey the Lord, we're walking into this room and it's just filled with blessings. And even those blessings that are already there, they're based on God's promises. They're not based on our behavior or something that we've done, okay? We just happen to find them because we obeyed. And I think that's so cool that there are blessings waiting for us when we obey, okay? But there are also times like this that we see with Solomon, the Lord just desires to bless us because he cares about us. So it's kind of like he's carrying blessings out of the room and delivering them to us because we're not going there, so he's just going to bring them to us anyway, because of him. He loves to bless. He loves to do that. Let me ask you a question. As we want to be like the Lord, did you ever just bless someone because of the love of God just welled up in you? I mean, it's just a thrill to do that if you've ever done it. If you've never done it before, I would say at least try it and just see what happens. You know, just bless someone for no reason at all other than you just wanted to bless them because of the love of the Lord that is in you. Remember, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, and that is so true. I mean, I'd rather bless someone else than receive something myself, and that's just the way the Lord's working in us when we have that, you know. And uh, by the way, just a side note on this, a very side note, I don't really like being the center of attention, 
And that's why I'm so, my wife might argue with that on that, but that's why I'm so goofy about asking you to pray for my illnesses, you know, like the surgery and everything coming up. I don't mind telling you about it if you, if you wanted to know or something, but I don't want to dwell on it because I just don't like being the center of attention. I, I like to be like the Lone Ranger where somebody turns around and says, where'd he go? He's gone. You know, where'd the masked man go? That's, that's kind of what I enjoy, and I like it to be that way. So verse 6 goes on. And Solomon said this. Now, the Lord is just asking this amazing question. Ask, what shall I give you? you know, and how would you answer that question? You know, that's amazing where the Lord just shows up in a dream and he says, I want you to ask. He commands him, just ask me for something. And, you know, what do you want me to give you? Wow, we have some thoughts on that one, you know. But Solomon says in verse 6 here, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. So I think what he's describing is David's walked through a lot of those doors of obedience, and he's found all kinds of blessing because the Lord had it waiting for him. He says, you have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So we saw this last time that Solomon did a great thing here. He remembered and he acknowledged God's blessings from the past. You know, and that's something we constantly need to do, I think, because we forget way too easy to just continue to say, remember what the Lord did. Don't forget what the Lord did. He's an awesome God. So right here, I think even at the end of verse 6, when he says, you have given him a son to sit on his throne, I think Solomon realizes the only reason I have this position is because of my dad and you're blessing him. It's not because of me. It's because of my father that you're doing this. And man, you know, you wonder how many times we're receiving blessings because we just happen to be in the place where somebody else has brought blessings in. I don't know. It just makes you wonder. Verse 7 here. Now, O Lord, my God, Solomon's still talking here. You have made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And I think Solomon's doing another great thing here. He's humble, and he knows that he's got a huge job to do, and he acknowledges that he's in way, way over his head. Because <laughs> when he says, I'm a child, he's not really a little kid. That's not physically his age. But he's saying, I feel like a child. I, I mean, my father, he led this nation with great honor to the Lord. And now I have to step up here. I don't feel like I'm, I'm qualified for this, you know. So he acknowledges that this work, if this work is going to happen, it's got to be you, Lord, who helps me or it's not going to work. Because I'm just a child. I don't even know how to go out and come in. And, you know, it doesn't take our kids long to learn how to go in and out of the house, right? <laughs> Psalm says, I don't even know how to do that. that. That's amazing humility he's claiming here without the Lord's help. Have you ever felt that way? You know, I hope so. Because when God calls us to follow him and to step out in faith, it can be frightening. Frightening, you know, when, when you realize that you're in way over your head. So I hope you've experienced that. It, it, there's a time like that when we cry out to God, you know, when we're in over our head, and the Lord answers. And, and that's the way the Lord, when he shows up like that, we end up getting a testimony from it, and God gets all the glory. And that's the way it's supposed to work. You know, so when the Lord calls us to serve him and he, he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Step out in faith here. And we're like, 
oh, man, I don't know if I can do that. And the point is, it's not about us. It's about God working in us and through us. And if we submit to him and we step out in faith, even though it's over our head, we end up with a testimony on the other side of that. But God, he gets all the glory. And that's exactly the way it should be. And I think every Christian should have that experience in one way or another. Because God calls us to step out and trust him. So verse 8 goes on. Here Solomon's still talking. He says, and your servant. And I think it's so cool. He keeps calling himself the servant of the Lord here. He says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counting. So I see here that Solomon's doing a third great thing. He's acknowledging that God's people are very precious to the Lord. You know, and again, that's a great thing for us to be reminded of too when we're ministering to God's people, that these are very special folks in the eyes of the Lord. So from that too, we, we learn that we need to be careful how we treat each other, you know, because we each belong to the Lord. So if we come against another believer, we better realize that we're messing with one of God's kids, you know? That should cause us to back off a bit and maybe pray for each other rather than attack each other. So this is a great thing that Solomon's realized. These are your people, and you chose these people. These people are really special to you. And now I'm supposed to lead them. I'm in the very middle of this kind of folk. I better, better have your help, Lord. I don't want to mess this up. You know, I almost see this picture as kind of the, the teenager and the dad's going to give him the car keys. And he's like, man, dad, I'm, I'm excited about this, but I'm sure hoping I don't wreck your car. <laughs> you know, And I kind of see that thought coming from Solomon here. So verse 9, therefore, he says, give to your servant an understanding heart. And that's what he's asking for. And that word understanding also means a hearing heart. So I think he's saying, I want to have a heart that hears you, Lord that I can hear what you're telling me to do. I get you, you know, give me everything I need as long as I'm listening, as long as I'm hearing. So he says, give your servant an understanding heart. And here's the reason he wants that, to judge your people. Again, he doesn't want to do this wrong. He doesn't want to mess up here. He realizes this is God's work he's being called to, and he needs to do it God's way. Good thing, good insight. And he says here that I may discern, discern between good and evil. Man, don't you wish our political leaders would say that? <laughs> Lord, we need your help. What is right and what is wrong? Not what we think or the people think that, that have a, an evil bent to them. Lord, what do you say is right? What do you say is, is good? And what do you say is evil? And we'll just amen that one, okay? Then it says, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? What a question. Who's able to do that? Who's able to judge God's people? Whoever it is, they better be submitted to the Lord, and they better let the Lord lead and guide, right? So we see here, as Solomon asks for this understanding heart, we see finally what Solomon was leading up to. You know, he asks the Lord for a very good thing here. He wants to be a good judge for God's people because they're so precious to the Lord. So he asks the Lord to give him that understanding heart. And Solomon knew that it had to be the Lord to give him that kind of heart because he couldn't muster up a heart like that on his own. We don't have that in us, do we? You know, and did you know that if the Lord doesn't do a work in our heart, then we're not going to be able to do a good job of ministering to God's people. It's not going to work. 
all right? We might be able to put a good show up for a while, but if it's not God we've surrendered to and let him to work in our heart, we're not as effective as you might think we are, you know? And Jesus said this, without him, we can do nothing. Man, I like the way he said that. It really lets us know, if you want to do my work, then you're going to have to let me work in you and through you. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I think it's interesting when Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. He didn't say, you could do a, a good job, you know, of ministering to God's people. It can be kind of a fair job. It'd be a little better if you did it with me, you know, but that's not what he said. <laughs> he said, you can't do anything without me. Sometimes we might have that thought, well, I think I can handle this one, Lord. I can do all right. Lord is just shaking his head. You'll be back <laughs> when it doesn't work. You'll be back to say, please, Father, forgive me and help me. Let's do it your way. But Jesus said, you know, we can't do anything without him. So it was very wise of Solomon here to ask the Lord to give him this kind of heart. It's a good thing. The Lord's going to say it's good in a second here. But I want you to see something in Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. This message we're, we're having, this is a message that was kind of supposed to be for last week, but the weather wasn't permitting that, you know. So as I was going through it again this week, the Lord kind of tapped me and said, there's something you need to see here. And this is what we're looking at in Acts chapter 13. And I tell you what, the Lord really, really hit me with this. And I bring it to you, and I hope you really consider this too. I think it's amazing, an amazing point. In Acts chapter 13, uh, this is, uh, we're, we're seeing some preaching done here, and the, the Paul is the one that's given this, this message here. Look at verse uh, 21 for a second, because he's talking about this time period back during King David and King's, uh, King uh, Solomon, excuse me. So Acts 13, look at verse 21. Afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And notice verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony. And here's what he said. Here's what God said. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. So he said, I found a young man, and he is coming after my own heart. He wants to be like me. And what does it mean to be a man after God's heart? He tells us right there in that verse, because this is a cool thing with English grammar. If you got the, like the New King James and you got some English grammar that's our modern grammar working for you, if you notice right after it says, a man after my own heart, you got a comma. And that comma is telling you right there, it's going to describe something that it just mentioned here. So he's telling us an answer. Who, what is it like to be a man after God's own heart? Who will do all my will? That's what it's like. That's the testimony David had. Wow. You talk about standing before the Lord and hearing, well done, thou good and faithful service. Servant, that's the top of the class right there. When the Lord can say, I found somebody who's after my own heart who will do all my will. Did David mess up? Yeah, he messed up. He's a sinner like the rest of us. But he had that testimony. He did God's will with his life. Isn't that something? But to ask for a heart like this. See, Solomon did good. He said, Lord, give me an understanding heart. But you know what David did? David said, give me your heart. I'm after your heart. 
That's the best thing we could ever ask for, to have a heart like God's heart. Think about that one. The Lord really hit me with that this week as I was going through this. And I thought, wow. I thought, you know, Solomon did a good thing. And the Lord said, he gives a thumbs up to it in a minute. We'll see that in the passage there. But David did something more. He asked for God's heart. Someone summarized the kings at that time. They said, you know, Saul was a king with no heart for God. David was a king with a full heart for God. And Solomon was a king with a half heart for God. And I thought that's a pretty good summary of those kings at that time. But if we desire to say, Lord, I want to have your heart. When the Lord brought me to that this week, I started praying that. I said, Lord, give me your heart. And I didn't hear any audible voice or anything, but it kind of sensed that the Lord was saying to me, are you sure you want to do that? Because look how they treated my son Jesus. You know, and he had to think about that, and I said, yes, Lord, I, I'm sure. That's really what I want. You know, and it's like they, they wanted to kill my son Jesus. Are you sure you want my heart? <laughs> I mean, they're gonna people that, there will be people that love you. God's people, they'll love you, you know. God's people, they love Jesus, right? But there are going to be people that hate you. And all Jesus did was speak God's truth and love, right? And sometimes the truth was kind of hard, but that's what he did. So if you want to do that, I'd encourage you to pray that way. You want to be Solomon, ask for wisdom, great, you can do that. And Lord offers that to us in the New Testament. But if you want to be like David, say, Lord, I want your heart. I don't want just a hearing heart. I want to have your heart. And, and the Lord bless you in that, I'm sure. And I ask you if you have, haven't considered that before, have you ever asked the Lord to change your heart? Have you ever asked him to give, give him your heart? Because if you haven't done that, then I would encourage you to do that right now. And we can pause for a second to give you a moment to do that. So let's pray for a second. We'll get back to the message here. Father, if someone is, is hearing you today and they know this is what you're calling them to and is a deep commitment, Lord, we understand. Lord, I pray, help us to say, yes, Lord, I want your heart. I want to do your will, all of your will in my life that I can. And I know I can only do that with your heart. So, Lord, please give me your heart. And for anybody praying that, Lord, I ask you to just, just fill them afresh with your spirit. And Lord, let them sense that you've poured your love into them in a deeper way that they can receive and that you just let them live for you and take the good as well as the bad, the love as well as the hate. And we thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Now, back to our passage in 1 Kings 3. Somebody said, it's good that Solomon asked to be a good judge. That's what his goal was. I want to have an understanding heart so I can be a good judge for your people. But... (laughs) They said he should have also asked the Lord for some more spiritual help, too, because he seems to be missing on that side of it. He's going to have the wisdom, going to have God working through him that way, but as far as his own personal walk, he really needed some help. And his life showed us that, right, as we follow along with him. So that would have been a really good addition to his request, you know, because he needed some real help in that area. Unfortunately, through Solomon's life, he ends up being more and more worldly as time goes on. And it doesn't take a lot to get to that point either. You just have to make one small compromise after another, after another. You know, and don't forget, compromise is a very slippery slope. 
And the more you do it, the less safe ground you're going to find to land on. So Solomon is the picture of that, unfortunately. Like somebody said, this guy was given so much wisdom from God and he didn't apply any of it to himself. Sad testimony. But on a positive note now, it was a good thing that Solomon asked the Lord for, for this help here. You know, he knew he couldn't do what God called him to do unless God equipped, equipped him and guided him. And we see that in other places in Scripture too. When the Lord calls us to serve him, he will equip us to do the work. So we don't have to say, well, Lord, you called me to this and I can't do it. Because Lord will say, I know you can. I called you uh, so you would submit to me and I could do it through you. I didn't expect you to do that. But I did expect you to submit to me and let me work through you. You know, And if you think about it, we're all called to minister. We're all called to serve the Lord and serve God's people. All right? So we all need to lean on the Lord and just trust him to equip us. And he will do that. He loves to do that. So verse 10 now, it says the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And that's cool, you know. We love to see it when someone pleases our Lord. We say, yes, that's so neat to see. You know, so uh, did you know that when we pray and we ask the Lord for good things, it really pleases him? You know, it's okay to, to do that. You can say, Lord, please use me to minister to this person. Or, or please use me to do this for you or to help this person somehow. And just imagine, it's okay to imagine the Lord smiling at you when you do that because he's pleased when we do good things. This was a good thing, okay? Verse 11 goes on. But then God spoke to him. Here's what he said. Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. So the only thing he asked for was something to be used to serve the Lord and God's people. Uh, behold, in verse 12, he says, I have done according to your words. You asked me, I've given it to you. It's done. He's got it, okay? He says, see, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, and here's the result of that, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. So we do see that Solomon here, he didn't ask for selfish stuff. And you know, that's why I said, when we asked the question, what would we say when God shows up in a dream and says, just ask me, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? Unfortunately, our American dream might come in front of that and say, whoa, well, let me see now. You know, but Solomon, he was amazing here. He didn't ask for any of that. It wasn't anything selfish, you know? And the Lord gives him such an abundance of what he asks for that God says, there's not going to be anyone like you ever again. That's hard to imagine. Wow. Amazing. And at that point, I think Solomon could handle it. <laughs> Later on in life, I'm not so sure, but at that point, he was humble enough to do that. And when it talks about this wisdom God gave him, I like Adrian Rogers' definition for wisdom. He said, wisdom is uncommon sense. I thought that was pretty good. You know, there's, there's such a thing as common sense, even though it's mostly gone into hiding in our recent times here. But when God gives someone wisdom, his wisdom, it goes way beyond just plain old common sense. And it passes up common sense like it's standing still. You know, that's God's wisdom. So if you've ever been around someone who's been given that gift of wisdom, it just blows you away with the stuff they come up with. And that's because it's God's way of thinking. You know, it's his thoughts. And the Lord says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
So God's thoughts are enough to shock us. That's why sometimes we're reading through the Word and we're going, whoa, did you really say that, Lord? And it's like, yeah, I said that. That's really the way it is. And it's like, wow, I never would imagine. And the Lord's saying, I know. <laughs> My thoughts are not your thoughts, right? So we go on to verse 13 then. The Lord says, and I have also given you what you have not asked for. And I think the Lord does that for us a lot. He blesses us for things we don't even ask for because he loves us and he loves to bless his children. But he said, I've given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, notice, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. Wow, so in two different areas, Solomon's going to stand out. One in the wisdom God gives him, no one's ever going to be like him. And even in his own day, he's going to be so rich and have so much honor, there won't be any other king on the earth that's going to be like him. Isn't that amazing? All, all his days during his time. So what we see here is blessing on top of blessing. And this shows us how amazing God's grace really is. You know, it says in Ephesians 3.20 in the New Testament for us, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we can ask or think. And that's what Solomon's experiencing right here. It's blessing on top of blessing. So not only is the Lord giving him the things he asked for, he just, I got more blessings to put on top of that too, okay? So there, there's no one else in his time that's ever going to be like him. And notice something here. And you can have riches without honor, and you can have honor without riches. But the Lord was giving him both of those things. That's an amazing treat to have both of those things all these riches and all the honor that goes with it, right? Because we know people in our own culture that are very wealthy. When it comes to honor, it's not there, right? And we may have folks that are very honorable in our culture. They don't have anything going for them on the monetary side. But the Lord says, I'm giving you both. Wow, that's amazing. And notice something else here too. With Solomon being blessed with riches from the Lord, he is never going to have to worry about any needs for the rest of his life. Isn't that amazing? How would you like to have that? Well, you know what? We do. <laughs> we do have that. You and I don't ever have to worry about any of our needs for the rest of our life if we do things God's way. Because there's a promise in Matthew 6, that you're well aware of. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So that doesn't, mean that, that doesn't mean that we need to be as wealthy as King Solomon, but it does mean that every single need we will have for the rest of our life on this earth is going to be met if, there's a condition on this promise, it's if we make the Lord in his ways the number one priority in our life. But isn't that amazing that we have the same promise from the Lord? So verse 14, so if you walk in my ways, the Lord says, and he's got a condition here on that too, right? If you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So there was a condition put on this promise, right? But unfortunately, Solomon didn't do his part on that promise. He didn't continue to walk in God's ways, and he didn't continue to keep God's statutes and God's commandments, 
And at some point, a point to that in, in saying that Solomon probably, somebody says, as you look at this, his life and see this promise the Lord gave him about basically a longer life, Solomon really only lived to maybe 60 years or a little bit further than 60 years. I sound like the Lord was promising him a lot more than that, you know, if he simply would have walked in his ways. So it makes you wonder how many promises we miss out on too, because some of the promises the Lord are conditional. We have to do our part, you know. If we don't do our part, then the Lord doesn't have to fulfill his promise. i got to slow my phone down here. I forgot to turn this off. Sorry, guys. Um, now, I'll get my thought back here a second. I'm sorry about that, guys. <clears throat> yeah, so when we talk about conditional promises from the Lord, the one that always pops in the front of my mind, and I don't know why, I guess the Lord is trying to get my attention on that, but the Lord, Jesus said this, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's not going to automatically make you fishers of men. <laughs> There's a condition on that. You have to follow him. But if you do follow him, he'll make you fishers of men. And that was spoken to Peter and the guys that were fishermen, right? So we can even apply that a little further, that whatever it is you think you're good at and you know how to do, God says, I can take you much further than that if you follow me. And it's going to be to minister to other people, not to minister to you, right? So keep that in mind, too, before you say, oh, I want that Solomon answer to, to my Lord, give me whatever I want. Make sure you understand that's for other people, right? So verse 15, then Solomon awoke. That was a dream. That's a dream he's been in, right? So he woke up, and indeed, it had been a dream. <laughs> and he came to Jerusalem, so he was at this other place, right? We're told where he was to, to do his uh, burnt sacrifices. Now from there he goes to Jerusalem, and he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And he offered up burnt offerings there too. And he offered up peace offerings, fellowship offerings. And he made a feast for all his servants. So when, when Solomon woke up, first thing he did, he then realized that was a dream that God had spoken to him. And, and have you ever had one of those dreams that has just seemed so real that when you wake up, you're kind of shocked that it was a dream? <laughs> I think that's what Solomon was experiencing here. And this is kind of what I would call a spiritual dream too that Solomon had because the Lord was ministered to him in it. And I don't know, do you have spiritual dreams? I don't know if you do. I've, I've only had a few that I can remember, you know, as being an actual spiritual dream. But those dreams I've had like that, same with you, I'm sure, they seem they're so real that when you wake up, you're like, wow, I, I thought that was real, but that was a dream, you know? And, and that's what Solomon, I think, hit him right when he woke up wow, God ministered to me right there, and I thought he was right there, you know? Uh, but it, back, if you remember back in verse 4, just before Solomon had this dream, we're told that he went to the altar, and the altar, remember, the, for the sacrifices was in Gibeon, and that's where we started out when he had this dream. And then he worshiped the Lord there, right? He had all these burnt sacrifices. He worshiped the Lord. And now he wakes up from the dream, and he goes to Jerusalem, which is where the ark was at. We mentioned that last time. The ark and the altar were not in the same place. They had gotten separated, and they never put them back together. And he worshiped the Lord there some more when he got there. So it's very cool to see that he thanks the Lord, you know, praises the Lord, and then the Lord blesses him. And after the Lord blesses him, what does he do? He goes back and he praises the Lord after the blessing. And it seems like it's hard for us to remember to thank the Lord after we've been blessed. I don't know why that is. I guess we get so caught up in the blessing that it can kind of distract us, and we forget to say, thank you, Lord, so much for that, you know? 
And that's why I really deeply appreciate the Thanksgiving holiday that we've got in our country because it's a reminder to stop and say thank you to the Lord, you know. I hope you've had an answered prayer this week. I know we saw an answered prayer. It might have been something small, but it just blessed the socks off of me. We were putting something up in the yard for the kids, and uh, it had a bunch of bolts and stuff, and we lost one of the bolts. Now, we got a bunch of grass out there, so we lost a bolt, and we're thinking, what are we going to do? So Dave is going to run to Home Depot and get another bolt. And I'm praying, you know, Lord, if the bolt's here, please let us find this bolt. But it's a needle in a haystack, for real, you know? So Dave gets in his car, and he starts to go, and I call him. I said, Dave, you might want to get two bolts just in case we lose another one, you know? So he's barely out of the driveway, and he's going down the road. He's about a block away, and I call him back, and I said, Dave, I just found the bolt. And when I saw that thing on the grass, it's like it's on top of the grass just sitting there. And I thought I'd looked at that place before, and it wasn't. The Lord answered that prayer, and I knew it had to be the Lord because how do you find a bolt in six acres, right? I mean, amazing. So, yeah, it was truly an answer to prayer, and it was just all glory and praise to him for that, right? So verse 16 goes on a little further. Now, now Solomon just been given this wisdom. says, now two women who were harlots came to the king, and they stood before him. <laughs> Remember, God's ways are kind of shocking sometimes. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's an interesting thing. The Lord has just given Solomon this amazing heart of wisdom. So who shows up for Solomon to start using this amazing gift on? Some harlots, some prostitutes. Wow, not what you might expect, right? So we learn from this. When the Lord calls us and then he equips us with the gifts to be able to minister to people the way he wants us to serve him, he sends people right away for us to start to minister to. And this is when we better be careful and we better keep a humble attitude because the Lord will most likely send someone to us or some job for us to do that we might be tempted to think, well, that's below me. I mean, Solomon could have said, I'm the king here. I've got all this wisdom I'm carrying around and two prostitutes show up and I'm supposed to do something with this, you know? But he doesn't do that, praise the Lord. But if we're tempted in that ourselves to say, that's kind of below me, don't you think, you know, then we just failed the test. I think that's what it is. It's a test, you know. And the thing is, the Lord cares deeply about those people who have messed up lives. And he wants us to have a heart like his, right? Remember, Jesus ministered to people like that, right? He was accused of that. It's because God cares about those people. So Jesus was accused of hanging around tax collectors, sinners, and he expects us to have the same heart for people that he does. So like Solomon here, the Lord sent two prostitutes for him to help. And, you know, if he's not humble at this point, then Solomon could really blow this test and it's written down for all people to see. Thankfully, he didn't. And I hadn't thought of this before until I was going through this again, but when the Lord called me into the ministry, it really humbled me because I realized I was in way, way over my head. You know, I'm thinking, I don't know enough, Lord, to help anybody. And now you're calling me into the ministry? This is going to be interesting. But very quickly, after the Lord called me, a, a guy came up to me and he, he said, and the Lord opened this opportunity for me to speak. A guy comes up and says, hey, would you want to speak at my church next week? And I was, I was shocked. I thought, wow, that was fast, Lord. I mean, I just said yes the other day and two days later, I'm getting asked to go speak somewhere, right? So, and it was a very small church that he asked me to come to. And thankfully, I didn't think anything about it. 
I was so shocked and knew I was in so far over my head. I didn't complain at all that it's not a mega church or something, you know. And I, I was I was glad I wasn't so arrogant and high minded. I don't think I had enough time to think about that, you know. Now, why didn't you have me speak in a large church, Lord? Oh, man, good thing he didn't, you know. So I praise the Lord for humbling me, you know. I found that that's where the blessings are at. If you want to find that door of blessings, I can tell you what leads there. It's, a, it's humility. You stay humble, and it leads you right to that door of God's blessings. But you won't find it if you don't go that path, you know, unless the Lord just says, okay, you need a blessing. You haven't come to my door for a while, so I'm just going to have to give you one, all right? Let you remind, remember what it's like. So stay humble, and you will find some amazing blessings from the Lord. And I think that the first challenge the Lord gives you when he calls you is good testing ground, just like Solomon here. It's good training ground, you know, to get you ready. It's like these prostitutes the Lord sent to Solomon. He's just been given all this wisdom, and how's he supposed to use it? To help these two prostitute ladies that come to him with a problem in their life. That'd be like your parents. <clears throat> they just gave you this super expensive car when you're 16 years old on your 16th birthday. It's an expensive, super fantastic sports car, and you ask them, where can I go with this? And they tell you, I want you to go down to the store in the corner and get us some bread and milk. You know, and you're thinking... That store is only three blocks away, and I walk there all the time, and that's where you want me to go with this car, you know? But you don't complain. You stay humble, you know? And that would be really hard for a 16-year-old to not go anywhere, right, with that thing? Because you're thinking, I got this car I know can tear up the highway, and I can only drive it three blocks. And, and you know how many people could handle a test like that and, and really pull it off well without complaining? You know, I mean, he's probably thinking, I could take this to my friends right now, and they'd be drooling over this car, you know. But three blocks, is it? Oh, okay, I, I got to do that, you know, stay humble and do that. But that's the kind of obedience the Lord expects from us. And you know why? Because that's what the Lord is like himself. Let's look at John chapter 13 a minute, a good reminder for us here. <clears throat> John chapter 13. Somebody pointed us out one time, we were listening to a message, and man, it just floored me. I hadn't, hadn't caught this before or paid attention to it that I recall. John chapter 13, in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, this is John 13, verse 1, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Now, think of that statement. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So what wasn't given to Jesus at that point? Absolutely nothing the entire universe, all the people, all the planets, everything, it was all given to him. So it says, knowing that all things were given to his hands and also knowing that he had come from God, from the very presence of God the Father, and he was going to go back to the presence of the Father, what did he do? He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, having been given all things, doesn't look for the nearest throne to climb up to or anything. He instead 
humbles himself and takes a lowly, lowly servant's position and washes the stinky feet of the disciples without, a, without blinking, without a heartbeat missed there. So see, when God calls us to that, <clears throat> it's because that's how he is. He's calling us to be like him. So the Lord isn't asking us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself when he offers us a chance to minister in a very low way to start with, you know. He wants us to be like him, humble and obedient, you know. We had to laugh because it made me think of a story, too. We, we heard at a conference out in Indiana one time, one of the speakers there, he told us a story about Pastor Chuck out in California, big church, and guys would come and hear him speak in front of all these people, and they'd say, I want to do that. I want that position up there at the pulpit, you know. And so what they would do, I call these, these wannabe pastors that showed up. So what would Pastor Chuck do? First thing he would do is, okay, um, I want this guy to take you, and he'll tell you what to do next. And it was a janitor. The janitor took him out back to the behind the place, and there was a real messy area back there where the fence, all the wind would blow, all the trash and everything. And he, the janitor would give him a trash bag and a, a, something to pick it up with, a, 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 I can't think, what do you call it, the rake or something. And he'd say, uh, go ahead and do that, and that should just take you maybe an hour, and I'll be back to check on you. And that janitor would come back, and he said, you'd be surprised how many guys were called out of the ministry so quickly after just being called into the ministry. And I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? That's the Lord's way of doing something. I'll gift you, I'll enable you, but guess what? You're going to be tested first. Do you really want to serve me, or you just want the glory? You know. So Solomon was at that place right here. Verse 17, it says, And one woman said, so here's the prostitutes talking to him, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Verse 18, Then it happened the third day, after I had given birth, three days later, that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. Now, notice this, how challenging this case is going to be for him, because there's no other witnesses, just these two ladies. So it's just one lady's word against the other lady's word, and nobody's going to come forward and say, well, I was a witness to this situation. I can tell you what happened. Now, if you ask a detective, what do you do if there are no witnesses in the case? He's probably going to tell you, then the case is dead in the water because you don't know where to go if you got no witnesses. So it really helps when you got a witness to come and, and give some additional information. But you know what? In this situation, there actually was a witness in this house who saw everything that happened. It was the Lord, right? And he witnessed the whole thing, and he's going to give Solomon the wisdom to get to the bottom of this and to come up with the right answer. So verse 19, this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she said, I had my child first. Three days later, she had a child. She rolled over on her son and ended up killing him. Verse 20, so she arose in the middle of the night. She took my son from my side, my living son, while your maidservant slept. Notice she calls herself the maidservant here. Uh, and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. Wow, this was such a cruel thing this lady did. Verse 21, and when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. So I think what happened, the lady, you know, she probably woke up and started to nurse the child, and she realized the child was dead, and it probably broke her heart to think her child died, and I think she got a little more in the light, and she looked, and she thought, wait a minute, this isn't my baby. This is her baby, okay? 
So, boy, you talk about a dagger in the heart. Mercy's sake. So, verse 22, then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. So they kind of got into it now before the king and makes me wonder, do you forget whose presence you're standing in? <laughs> this is the king who said, hey, enough of both. You take their heads off, would you? I don't want to hear this anymore. So they're kind of going at it. Verse 23, and here's what Solomon said. The one says, this is my son who lives and your son's the dead one. And the other one says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. I think this probably quieted things because he let them know, I hear your case. I hear exactly what you're saying. So you can stop now because I know what you're telling me. That's pretty comforting. Verse 24, then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. Now at that point, I'm thinking, you know, I mean, we know the story probably from Sunday School VBS, somewhere along the way, we're very familiar with this story. But imagine these people who hear this for the first time. They're listening to Solomon. They're thinking, wow, this is our, our new wise king. What's he going to come up with? And he says, bring me a sword. I wonder if the people are like, well, that's really crazy. What do you need a sword for? There's no battle here. There's no soldiers. You just got a baby and the, uh, two ladies here that claim it's theirs, right? Verse 25, and the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to one and half to the other. You talk about a shock. I'll bet the people watching this were thinking, what in the world is he saying? That is no answer. This is our new king. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. I don't want to come before this guy. What's he going to do if I got a problem? Wow. Think about that. That sounds crazy. But look what happens. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, and notice why she spoke. For she yearned with compassion for her son. By Solomon saying this, it made the compassion well up in her. And she said, oh, my Lord, give the living child to her and by no means kill him. But the other one said, let him be neither mine nor hers, but divide him. Now, think about this the mother. She loved her child so much. She was willing to say, I'll live without my child. Just let the child live willing to give up her own son. There we see a picture of the father, willing to give his son that we might live. His son wasn't even going to live. He was going to face death. Talk about amazing love. God did that for you and me because he loved us. He was willing to let his son die in our place so that we might have eternal life and be able to rejoice with him forever. Amazing. So verse 27, so the king answered and said, give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him, for she is his mother. So he instantly withdrew the command, do not kill the child, get that sword away from him, don't do that at all, give this child to the real mother. And at that point, I think the light came on with people, look what it says, and all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was with him to administer justice. So I think, for one thing, right here, they're like, I didn't want to come before him because I know he was crazy before, but now that I see the amazing wisdom, I really don't want to come before him now because he's going to expose my heart. Wow. And that tells us there's someone who can expose your heart more than Solomon could. And every human being is going to stay before that Lord. They should have the fear of God. 
to say, I fear standing before him because he's going to expose my heart. And if we're honest, we know our heart is not pretty. Amazing picture here. Something, too, I want you to catch in verse 28. It said, after Israel heard of this judgment, that's what caused them to have this fear of the king. Guys, we have to tell people about our God. We've got to tell them the whole story. We've got to tell them that judgment is coming if you refuse Jesus Christ. Because it's after they hear, that's when the fear of God comes. And that's why the responsibility in us to make sure they hear the judgment of our God. That's part of what we've got to tell them. You know, what's interesting is, is, like I said, this king made a crazy thought up first to bring in his sword, and then he showed extreme wisdom. That's how God works, did you notice? There are times God tells us to do something where you're thinking, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. That's crazy. And at the end of the story, after we see God's hand, we're going, wow, that was amazing, Lord. How did you do that? I think of that story about the guy that was coming home after being saved two weeks earlier, driving home from church after a meeting one night, and he had the thought of stopping his car and getting out and hollering in the mailbox, God loves you. He thought, that's crazy. I won't do that. People are thinking I'm nuts. And finally, he couldn't get away from the thought, so finally he pulls over. He's in a subdivision. He pulls over. He runs up to the nearest mailbox. He opens it up, and he hollers in there, God loves you. And he said it became a megaphone and just whoa, went out everywhere. And he's like, oh, i got to get out of here now for sure. So he's running back to his car. And just then, a door opens to the house right where he's at. And a guy comes out and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. And the guy says, whoa. He says, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm a new Christian. I thought I was supposed to do that. I'm, I'm leaving. Don't worry. Don't call the cops or nothing. And the guy said to him, he says, no, I want you to know. I was on a stool with a rope around my neck. I was ready, ready to end my life. And I said, God, if you're real, let me know. And then I heard this booming voice that says, God loves you. That's a real story that really happened. But again, at first you think, this is crazy, Lord. But afterwards you say, what amazing wisdom, God. You spared this guy's life. You brought him to Christ. He ended up getting saved. Wow. God calls us to serve him. We've got to be humble to do that. When he puts something on your heart, check it, you know, say, Lord, it's really you. And if it is, he'll let you know. But step out in faith and do it. And you'll be amazed at the wisdom of our God. Sorry to keep this a few minutes over. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word of truth. I praise you, Lord, for, for really speaking to our hearts today. Help us, Lord, to follow you, Lord, and let you do with our life as you will. And, Lord, I pray you would just continually give us your heart. Thank you so much for the great love you pour out through us, through, to us through your son, Jesus. And I just give you praise and worship for that. If anyone does not know Jesus Christ, Lord, open their heart to see their tremendous need because there is a judgment coming for anyone who does not have Jesus Christ, Lord. So please open their heart to receive Jesus, get full forgiveness of their sins, and uh, just rejoice in knowing you. We give you back all the praise, all the glory, all the honor in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you like to stand for the final song?